Good morning, One Church. How are you guys doing? Man, I don't even know if I want to preach. I just want to sing. Oh my gosh. Wow, wow, wow. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is good all the time. Um, but I am going to preach. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, and that's just because Josh won't put me on the praise team. That gum. I mean, I got a mic. I paid, you know, Nick a $20 bill to turn my mic on while we're singing, and he won't do it for some reason. I don't know why. Well, let me say this. Before we get started into what we're going to uh, speak about today, next week is one of the most important weeks of our church. And uh, we're going to be talking about some things. We have a lot of things coming up on the horizons of one church. We have, uh, um, we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. And, um, and we just want to praise God for everything that God has done. But we also we want to just be able to, I want to share with you my heart next week just to let us know what God has done but where he's going to be taking us. And uh, a lot of changes taking place, a lot of good changes. All of them are good. I mean, I see God's hand behind every one of them. But I will tell you, we're going to be probably pushed out of our comfort zones uh, because anytime God wants to do something great, he always pushes us out of our comfort zone. So... I just want to really encourage you to be here next week uh, as we talk about um, a lot of the things that God has not only laid on my heart, but the heart of our team uh, to see what God is doing through one church. So that, that'll be next Sunday, and we'll have a great time with that. Today, we're ending our last uh, series, The Letters of the Next President, and we're asking the question, what if somebody in the Old Testament, some of these Old Testament political advisors, what if they were going to give some advice to the next president, whoever he or she may be, whatever party that is, uh, whether you vote Democrat or Republican, it really, you know, we're, that's not really the issue. We just want to talk about some biblical advice. What would they say to whoever the next president is going to be? And um, we looked at two weeks ago. We looked at um, uh, advice given to uh, that Daniel gave uh, that leadership is stewardship. It's temporary, and you're held accountable. Last week. I was going to preach on Nehemiah, and we didn't get to go that direction because God did a 180 uh, on us all. And um, But you can go on the uh, iTunes or on the website, and you can listen to that one that we did at 9 o'clock. Today, we're going to be looking at advice given to a king, and his name is David. Everybody, if you, if some of you grew up in church, you've heard of David, you heard of that name. Some of you hadn't, but you still know who I'm talking about because it's so popular. He's such a common story. And we're going to be talking about advice, political advice that was given to David. Um, before we get into David's lifetime, though, I need to kind of set the stage a little bit so that you can understand. Um, at the time, in fact, God's original plan was this, to not have any king of Israel not to have any one person as the leader of Israel because the one person who was the leader and who is the leader is God. So God's saying, listen, you, you, you're a nation unto yourself. You're holy. You're unique. You're, sometimes some people call you a little strange. Um, but I am encouraging you, let me be your leader. Uh, let this be a theocracy, a, a government built around me. And, um, and they said, no. We want to be like all the other nations. We want to have kings because they got leaders, they got kings, they got presidents. So give us somebody. So God's going, okay, if you choose somebody, it ain't going to go well for you. 
So they said, oh, we need somebody. Give us a king. So they start looking for a king. And uh, they based getting leaders on external circumstances. They looked at somebody who was the most handsome, who was the tallest, who had, you know, uh, a six-pack on their stomach. They, they kind of were looking for somebody like me. And um, that wasn't funny. Wasn't funny one bit. Anyway, um, but they're looking for this, uh, they're looking for a good-looking tall dude. And they come up and they pick a dude by the name of Saul. Saul is head and shoulders above everybody else, literally. And um, they say, you know what, he looks kingly, let's make him our leader. And they learn a valuable leadership principle the hard way, that just because somebody looks the part of a leader doesn't make them a good leader. So they choose Saul as their leader, and Saul is an absolute wreck. Um, He starts out good, and God's trying to help him through this transition, but he won't listen to God. And eventually he disobeys God so much, God says, you know what, you're done. I'm taking the leadership that was given to you, I'm taking it from you. I'm going to give it to somebody else. So he comes, God talks to this fellow by the name of Samuel, who's a prophet. And a prophet is, uh, is like God's representative to the people. And uh, he comes to Samuel and he says, I want you to go to Jesse's family, and they've got seven sons, and I want you to go pick one of their sons to be king, and I'll tell you who, who's going to be. So Sammy, Samuel goes to Uncle Jesse's family, and uh, he shows up at Uncle Jesse's house, and they have uh, seven brothers, and, uh, and, and seven brothers and one sister, and seven brothers. Uh, this, the brothers' names were Bo and Luke and Boss Hog and the... the I'm joking. But, um, so anyway, so they show up, and Samuel is looking at these, I mean, good-looking dudes, the oldest, and he says, man, that's, he looks like a king. He looks like a king. <laughs> and God's going, yeah, y'all made that mistake once before. In fact, this is what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God is talking to Samuel, and he says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. He may look kingly to you, but he ain't the one. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. We need to remember that. People judge by what? outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, we judge by outward appearances, but God looks at the heart. You know, I love 1 Samuel 16, 7. A lot of people, this is not my notes and I'm straying away, it's a little scary. Um, A lot of people say, well, how come, you know, in order to go to church, you've got to dress up? That's messed up. Because we're not here to impress anybody, are we? We're here and it has nothing to do with how we dress on the outside because God looks at the heart. He don't care what you got on. He don't care if you got bib overalls on or if you come uh, in your fatigues or you come in whatever. It doesn't matter because God looks at the heart. And God is telling Samuel, here is a great leadership principle. You don't base leadership. You don't pick leaders just on the externals. You look for internal stuff. You look for integrity. So he goes through all the brothers. This one, no. And Samuel's going, I bet you he's this one. And God's like, no, he ain't, dude. All right, what about this one? No, he ain't it. All right, what about this one? No, he ain't it. He goes through all six, and God's going, no to all of them. So he's scratching his hand, and Samuel looks at Jesse and said, is that all your sons? And Jesse says, no, there's just one other runt. You know, he's kind of the, he's the youngest, and he's a shepherd boy, and he's not king material. 
you know, I didn't call him because he's not the leader you're looking for. Uh, he's out with the sheep. And Samuel says, no, you go get him. You go get him. I mean, think about that. That's little David who was left out. What would you feel if your dad, if your dad left you, if your dad knew, you know what, you're not a leader. I don't believe in you. I mean, how would that make you feel? It would cut to the quick of your soul. But David, they get David out, and he comes in, and he smells like sheep, and kind of looks like a sheep. And, uh, and it, God tells Samuel, he's the one. But he's small. No, no, no. He's the one. But you know what? He, he kind of smells funny. He's the one. And uh, he says, I am going to pick him because he has a heart like mine. He's a man after mine own heart. So they anoint David, and they said, you know what, David, you're going to be the next king, but Saul's still king, he's still around. You're going to have to wait a while until Saul dies. And David says, that's fine. So they kind of do this thing. David continues to grow up. He meets this uh, nine-foot uh, uh, nine dude uh, named Goliath, and, uh, and David kills him and uh, puts a stone right there and takes his sword off and whoa, and cuts off his head. Man, the Bible's cool. Man, cool stuff in there. And, um, and then they, everybody starts singing songs. Man, you know, Saul, you know, he's, he's killed a few people, but David has killed thousands. And that's ticking Saul off, the current king. And there's this whole thing. And, and eventually Saul dies. David becomes king. And David just, he, he, he lives up to the name of man after God's own heart. He loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He writes half of the book of the Psalms called Psalms in the Bible. He's a poet. He's a musician. He's a warrior. He's really good with a slingshot. That's my boy Dave. His name means beloved, and he's the beloved of God. And, and he is a great leader, but he screwed up some. And we're going to look at some of his mistakes because today we're looking at that leaders aren't perfect. Nobody expects our next leader to be perfect. Nobody expects. We know that the next person, whether he, uh, he be whatever or she be whatever in the present, we know she's going to make or he's going to make mistakes. So what happens when you're a leader and you make mistakes? What happens? I mean, because everybody makes mistakes, but you have a choice. Do you own up to them? Do you blame? Do you try to cover up? Or you do, do you say, are you man enough to say, I made a mistake? And we're going to talk about that. So let's look at David as a fish out of water, because at this point in David's career, he's conquered all of his enemies, everything's good, and he is living peace, uh, peaceful and easy. In fact, he has a peaceful, easy feeling. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to do, you know, this whole king thing, going to have to battle, living in tents. I've, I've conquered pretty much everybody around me, so I'm just going to hang back. I'm going to relax. I'm going to put my feet up. And he lets his guard down, and that's the first problem. Anytime you let your guard down and you think everything's good, everything's hunky-dory, watch out. This is what we're going to look at in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says this, he's settling down, it's peaceful. Things relaxed. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war. Now, David's a king, so where should he be? That's right. He should be uh, knocking some heads together. All right? But what is he doing? David sent Joab in his place. 
He said to the commander of the army, hey, you know, you do this, I'm going to kick back, relax. Anyway, the Olympics are on, so I'm going to hang out. So David sends Joab and the Israelite army out to fight, but David stayed behind in Jerusalem. All righty then. Late one afternoon, David got out of bed, all right? So he's had his siesta, he's relaxed, you know, he's wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And he decides, after taking a nap, he decides to take a stroll on the roof of the palace. So he's strolling. All right? He's strolling out on the roof. And uh, he's looking. And, oh, there's a woman bathing. Oh, dear Lord. Mm. And what does it say at the very end of that verse? It says, I noticed a woman of what? Unusual beauty taking a bath. Gugugamuga. So, oh, I, I, I saw it. There I go. All right. Now, David takes that first look, and he has a choice. Is he going to take a second look, or is he going to say, you know what? I need to go back inside. And David makes the choice to take a second look. David is looking, and he's not blinking a lot, so his eyes are getting dry. And um, he made a choice to take a second look. You know, the first look, you know, you really can't control it. Oh, uh, okay. You saw something you shouldn't have seen. But everybody has a choice to take a second look. And some of you guys, you're going, everybody takes a second look. Nothing wrong with window shopping. All right? Well, we're going to look at what window shopping will get you. Right? Because the first look becomes the second look, and the second look turns into something else. All right? Look at verse 3. He sent someone to find out who she was. All right, so he's moved from taking the first look to the second look to, hey, who is this girl of unusual beauty? So he sends somebody. Now think about this. You're one of David's, David's attendants. You ever wonder what they're thinking at this point? Uh, David. Uh, you've got a couple of wives. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, so what are you doing? But n- there was nobody in David's life to hold him accountable. And see, there's another problem. When you let your guard down, when you're, when you're at some place you're not supposed to be, and you take, oh, uh, you take that second, and you, there's nobody in your life to say, what, is this a wise thing that you're doing? You start going down a road that you don't really want to go down on. This is what it says. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, why that's important, he, it's not Uriah the Israelite. He wasn't part of the Jewish nation. He's a foreigner. He's a, he's a person who, who was, uh, and used to be an enemy of God who now said, you know what, I love God, and he comes in the Jewish nation. So this is somebody who doesn't even abide by the... You know, he wasn't born a Jew. He's saying, you know what? Uh-oh, come on now. He's, he's the wife. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Look at this. Then David sent messengers to get her. What in the world? And look at this next part. And when she came to the palace, he... What's that word? I'm, I'm sorry. He what? Slept with her. Where does window shopping get you? First look becomes a second look, and second look becomes adultery. That's what happens. And he decides, after he slept with he wakes up, he looked, oh, 
what's she doing in bed with me? Oh, that's right. And he, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I've sinned. I messed up royally. Literally, I'm the king, royally. Okay? What about, okay, so she goes back to her house. He stays at the palace, and he's thinking, okay, nobody knows. Everything's good. All right, cool. We're good with this. But there's a problem. The Bible says your sin will always find you out. That's never a good verse. All right, so evidently he didn't read that one. And you know what? Everything's good for a few weeks until Bathsheba sends a letter going, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm Juno. All right? I mean, and he, his jaw drops, and he says, uh-oh. Uh-oh. We can't keep this secret secret for long. So he starts thinking, what am I going to do? And he has a choice to make. Is he going to come clean, tell the truth, and say, I have messed up, I've sinned? Or can he somehow shift the blame? And he chooses to shift the blame. And he calls his, his Bathsheba's wife home from the battle and says, why don't you have a little three-week R&R? You know what I mean? And uh, why don't you come back, everything relax, you know. And, and so, he, so Uriah comes back, and, 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 and he's hanging out with David. And he says, why don't you go home? You know, why don't you go home and be with Bathsheba? You know what I mean? And uh, Uriah says, I'm not going to do it. I says, my soldiers are in the battlefield, and if they don't come home, I'm not going to come home. And, he, and Uriah has so much, and again, this is different than... You know, R&R today, this is just a special case. And he says, you know what, I'm not going to do it because none of my soldiers are getting R&R. Nobody else is getting any leave. I am not special, so I am not going to go home. I mean, Uriah has enough integrity. He has more integrity than the king of Israel at the time. I mean, this foreigner. And David says, okay, I'm going to get you drunk. So if I get him drunk, maybe he'll go home. So he gets him drunk. You know, get some alcohol in. You know, why don't you go home and why don't you go and be with your wife? I ain't gonna do it. You know, and he falls asleep on the king's steps. And Operation Get Uriah Home to Be with His Wife is a failure. All right. So Dave is going. Oh man, the blame didn't work. By the way, you know what? Not, you want to know how you spell blame? You spell it this way. You spell blame by being lame. Because anybody, anytime you blame somebody, you are being lame. So the blame game didn't work. So he says, okay, I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to take care of this situation. So it says in 2 Samuel 11:14. so the next morning after this didn't work, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front of the lines where the battle is the fiercest, then pull back so he will be killed. David is now becoming an executioner. He had a choice. Okay, Operation Blame didn't work. Is he going to come clean or is he going to cover it up? He chooses to cover it up. And he gives the letter to Uriah to take to Joab to say Uriah is going to be killed. And David is, is a murderer now. He's trying to cover... Now think about this. Sin makes you stupid. Let me tell you the reason why. If Uriah dies, the baby's still there, right? I mean, think about it. You, you take Uriah out of the picture, the baby is still there, right? I mean, he's thinking, okay, if I get rid of Uriah, that's going to fix my problem. That's not fixing nothing. 
Anytime you choose to sin and you, and, and you choose to cover it up and blame, you start getting really weird, convoluted thinking, and you don't think straight. You don't think straight. Sin makes you do dumb things. Verse 26, so Uriah gets killed. Great. All right, David's thinking, okay, wonderful. Everything's taken care of. Verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of her mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. Look at that. David was able to cover up his mistakes. No problem. No one knows, right? Wrong. Look at the end of that verse. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. You know, the one person you can't fool is God. David knew, Bathsheba knew, but everything, and nobody else knows now. And God says, no, I know. I know. And what you did in secret is going to be brought to light. So, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1, God talks to a prophet by the name of Nathan and says, I want you to be one of David's political advisors. Go give him some advice. Go give him some God advice. So that's what happened. So Nathan, it says in verse 1, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David a story. So he comes into, into David's palace. And let's have story time, okay? Let's hear it. Well, and he starts telling this great story of two people. You have a person who's rich, who owns just thousands of acres, tons of land, vacation homes, Lexus chariots. He owns tons of cattle and goats and tons of sheep. I mean, he's filthy rich, all right? He's filthy rich. His last name is Gates, all right? And then there's this other person, and he's not just poor, he's poor. And this person, he doesn't have anything, nothing. He, there's him and his wife and his children, but he literally has nothing. The one thing he has is this little baby lamb. And this little lamb was like a pet to his kids. And they gave him a name. His name was Lammy. And they fed Lammy from the kitchen table. The, the Lammy slept in the kids' beds at night. They loved this little Lammy. All right? He was just, everybody loved Lammy. Well, the problem, the rich dude had a friend come in from out of town. He says, okay, I've got to feed this dude. And uh, I have a choice. I, I can maybe slaughter some of my cows or goats or sheep. Uh, I really don't want to do that. I know what I'll do, the rich man thinks. I'll go and I'll take Lammy from this poor, this poor family and I'll make him into a kebab. So he takes Lammy, he puts Lammy on the grill, and they have lamb chops. And uh, this poor man, I mean, is, is broken. Children are broken. And at this point, it says in the story that David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed. Any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. I mean, David's angry, and he's a little self-righteous here, don't you think? A little self-righteous. Well, they just need to be killed. Who is this person? Tell me who he is. I'll kill him. I'm pretty good at that now. And Nathan points his finger and he says, you're the man. You're the person. How's that for political advice? Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you. Who anointed him? God. 
I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. He continues, I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. God's saying, you know what? Just in case you missed the point, leadership is stewardship. I'm the one that gave you. You did nothing to deserve to be king. You were the runt. You were the smallest. That's the reason why I picked you. Because nobody could think, well, he should be it. Because I am a big God and I love picking small people. He says, nobody, you did not deserve this. I gave it to you. Leadership, it's stewardship, it's temporary, and you're always held accountable. And I'm holding you accountable, David. He continues, says this, um, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. He says, you know what? I could have given you more. He says, I am the one in charge here. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Nathan confronts David with his blame, with his covering up, and with his sin. And David, when he has nowhere else to turn, he says, You're right. You're right. I did it. I was wrong. I messed up. Then David confessed to Nathan, Nathan, verse 13. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, You're right. Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. David finally recognized his sins. He finally admitted his mistakes. And that leads us to our big idea for today. Our big idea is simply this. Effective leaders take responsibility for their mistakes. Effective leaders take responsibility for their mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. We can't help that. We don't want a leader who is perfect, but we do want a leader who, when they make a mistake, for them to take responsibility. And here's the thing. Many of us think, okay, if I take responsibility and admit that I did something wrong, that my credibility will go down. And actually, the inverse is true. If you try to cover it up and play the blame game, then your credibility goes down. But when you admit, hey, I was wrong, I sinned, that's when everybody, your credibility goes up and they're able to open their hearts to you and your leadership and you're able to be influenced again because effective leaders accept their mistakes and take responsibility for their actions. They take responsibility for their actions. It's kind of like this stick. Anytime you pick up a stick, you pick up both ends. That's deep. Think about this. You make the choice to pick up one end, but the other end, there's always a consequence. Always. There's always a consequence. You make a choice to pick up one, the consequence will always follow. Always. Always. You you try to shift the blame on Uriah, you you had a decision to come clean, you didn't. You tried covering up, you had Uriah killed, you had the decision to come clean, but you didn't. And he kept on trying to cover up his mistakes, and he keeps on choosing poorly. I'm going to make this, this choice, this decision, and this is the consequence. And let's look at David's consequences. Verse 10 of 2 Samuel chapter 12. Because you wouldn't obey me and you took Uriah's wife for yourself, your family will never live in peace. Consequence number one. Someone from your own family will cause you a lot of trouble. That's consequence number two. And I will take your wives and give them to another man before your very eyes. 
He will go to bed with them while everybody looks on. That's consequence number three. What you did was in secret, but I will do this in the open for everyone in Israel to see. That's really our big idea restated again. You try to cover up your mistakes, but they will be brought to light. David said this, I have disobeyed the Lord. Nathan agreed, yes, you have. You have showed that you didn't care what the Lord wanted, and he has forgiven you, and you won't die. That could have been consequence number four, by the way, because legally in the Mosaic law, anybody in adultery, both of them were to be killed. But God had mercy and grace and said, no, you're going to live. But look at this. But your newborn son will die. That's consequence number four. God was trying to be merciful and just. Some of you hear that and you think, well, the, the child died? God's not, God must not be very good. And you miss the whole point of the story because this is not about God's goodness but David's badness. Because in everything there is a consequence. You have a decision... There's a consequence that come with it. You have a decision, there's a consequence that come with it. That's a law that can't be broken. In fact, you've, you've heard it stated this way. With every action, there is an equal and opposite what? That's right. Because to every decision you make, there is a consequence. And you seal your fate by the choices that you make. You seal your fate by the choices that you make. Good choices have good consequences. Bad choices have bad consequences, but both are like two ends of a stick. So if David was giving some advice to the next president, whoever he, she may be, whatever political party they may be, David would probably write something like this. Dear Mr. President, in our culture, we love placing people up on pedestals and then watching them fall. You live in an Oval Office made of glass where everyone sees your actions and hears your words. You are not perfect, and we know that. In fact, we don't even expect perfection. What we do expect is for you to do two things. First, we are asking you to surround yourself with wise counselors. Proverbs 11:14 says, Without wise leadership, a nation falls, but with many counselors, there is safety. Surround yourself with wise leadership that will keep you from making many mistakes. Secondly, when you do make a mistake, don't blame anyone else. Don't shift the blame to other party members, to Congress, or to anyone else. And don't try to cover up your mistakes because you will only make things worse. Instead, take responsibility and say that you were wrong. When you take responsibility, that gives you credibility, and we will again open our hearts to your leadership and to your influence. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for giving us an example like David, a person who was a man after your own heart, a person who did a lot of great things, who was a good leader, but Lord, who also messed up, messed up tremendously, God. Lord, thank you so much for giving us examples that we can relate to in the Bible. Lord, so many times we feel like, Lord, we just can't be good enough. Or in order to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, we, we're never going to make mistakes. We're never going to sin. But, Lord, we do, and we will continue. And, Lord, I just I pray right now, Lord, 
Lord, that once all of us mess up, because all of us are leaders, we're leaders of our homes, we're leaders of our spouses, um, we're leaders of our, our units, we're leaders of our sororities, our fraternities. We're all leaders of something. I pray that we would have enough courage to be able to stand up and say, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. We know that when we do that, Lord, that uh, we take a few big gulps and we eat a lot of humble pie. But Lord, you love humility, but you hate the proud. I pray that you would protect our nation and protect our next leader and make he or she, whoever they are, make them Christ-like and make them godly. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things.